Hello, everybody, and welcome inside the What You Need to Know podcast. I am Tyson Ewing, play-by-play voice of Utah Women's Basketball, and joined by my radio analyst, Miley Enger. This is the What You Need to Know podcast that focuses on all things University of Utah women's basketball. We'll take an in-depth look at what's going on in the program. Now, I do apologize. We'll start today's episode by apologizing that we weren't able to get an episode out last week. Unfortunately, I had the COVID-19 bug, and it swept through pretty, pretty well. So, Miley, we're back after uh, kind of a rough week. We were supposed to record early last week, pushed it back, hoping that that you wouldn't test positive for COVID and then ended up having to cancel the whole week. But we're back. Yeah, so that for that, I apologize. But like Miley just said, we are back and super excited for this episode because it is the episode that highlights the 2022 NCAA tournament for the University of Utah, their first tournament experience since 2011. And where we'll start is all the way back on Selection Sunday. It was one week after the Utah Utes had lost to Stanford in the Pac-12 title game. And we spent really the whole entire week unsure of what was going to happen. Mylena, I don't know if you remember kind of how the, uh, how that week went, but what I remember more than anything is just thinking, man, these guys could be anywhere from the 6th seed to the 10th seed. Charlie Cream had Utah as a six seed had they beaten Stanford in the Pac-12 title game. That didn't happen. And so it left a lot of question marks that would be answered a week later. When we were looking at the bracket, I remember us talking about Utah potentially being an eight or a nine. And then if they won that first round, they'd have to play the number one seed. But with the way that they performed in the Pac-12 tournament, the selection committee thought that Utah deserved a seven seed, which is what they got. When we watched the selection show together at my house, I think Utah was one of the last teams brought up in the show in the last region of the bracket. So we were waiting and waiting and waiting to see where Utah was going to end up. And then finally we saw the matchup. Utah comes up on the screen. They get the seven seed against a 10 seed Arkansas. I don't know if you remember seeing the video that Utah uh, put out following that selection show, but you could see kind of the angst in head coach Lynn Roberts' face as she was kind of just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I loved how that video was kind of put together. It was a short video, only lasted roughly about 60 seconds, but what you saw is the team just kind of waiting around and you saw kind of the anxiety that was coming across Lynn Roberts' face as finally she was announced that she was going to be going to Austin, Texas, taking on, as you just mentioned, the 10th seed Arkansas. Now, later that night, they put out the actual schedule, which put Utah to play Arkansas kind of midday on Friday. So that meant that you and I would have to fly to Austin, Texas, get ready and get prepared for a tough Arkansas team. Now, the storyline going into that one is head coach Lynn Roberts was very familiar with Arkansas head coach Mike Neighbors and his offense. Mike Neighbors was the coach at Washington for several years before he got a great job offer to go to his alma mater and to coach the women's team at Arkansas. And so Coach Roberts had gotten familiar with Mike while he was here. And from what it sounds like, we're pretty good friends. A story came out throughout the week that Coach Roberts kind of went to um, Mike Neighbors before the season to kind of talk about his run-and-gun type of offense. And so the storyline was going to be two high-scoring offenses with two coaches that were very, very familiar with each other. Another storyline going into this game is that Utah had not been in the tournament since 2011. Then on the opposite side, 
Arkansas got upset in that same building that they were playing just the previous year. So you have two highly competitive teams going into this game. One team wanting to get a win since they haven't been there for over 10 years and another team wanting that revenge game since they were upset just the year before. Now, before we go into the actual game, we have to talk quickly about our lovely travel situation because uh, if you uh, follow me on on social media, uh, then you would probably know that I was stranded at an airport in Atlanta. You made it to Austin very well. It was totally fine. It was a little late at night, but you managed to make it to Austin just fine. I, on the other hand, did not have a great travel experience. Now, I was flying from Orlando, and so I came from the other side of the country, from Orlando to Atlanta to end up in Austin. Again, it was supposed to be late. We were actually supposed to meet up at the airport and drive over to the hotel, but uh, it did not happen that way. Uh, I left Orlando and planned Plenty of time, but I got to the Atlanta airport expecting to board a flight shortly after I arrived, and it just never boarded. The flight ended up getting canceled, and it was a late flight, so there was no flight for me to catch out. So I was terrified, Miley, absolutely terrified. I remember calling you shortly after and saying, uh, Miley, you might be calling this game because I'm stranded right now. Well, there was a storm as well, which is the reason Delta said that your original flight wasn't able to go. And we were looking at the the storm projection, I guess is what you would say. And you're like, um, my flight in the morning is still supposed to go through the storm. So if I don't make it, you're going to have to actually call the game. And that just <laughs> panicked me a little bit, I guess, to say the very least. You get a little nervous? Just a little bit. <laughs> You know, but I definitely was doing all I could to get there because obviously I have been covering this team for the last six years. And this is the first time they've been to the NCAA tournament since I became the broadcaster. And so it was a big moment for me as well to to have the opportunity to call an NCAA tournament game. So I was panicking as well because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if we finally have an opportunity to do this in a storm that was going through Arkansas at the time was preventing me from getting to Austin, Texas. And so obviously I was a little bit nervous. I had to spend the night at the Atlanta airport, very uncomfortable by the way, but I was able to board a flight. Now we'll say I was very nervous getting on that flight because they had said that there were slight issues with some actual equipment that they had to reset it. And honestly, I was thinking at this point, my luck, I'm sure they're going to say time to get off the plane and I was not going to make that uh, make that game. However, once we got on the runway, they said they had to reset it, whatever it was. I can't remember. I, I some technical term for flight equipment. I don't freaking know. But I was able to get in the air and uh, I did get to Austin probably no more than what, four hours before tip off? Something around there. Got a shower in and was able to to get to uh, the arena in just enough time. But it was it was crazy, and I'm just happy that I was able to make it in time, as I'm sure you were as well. Yeah, I was not about to call that game. The other option was for you to call it through Google Hangouts, like you did the Arizona game. And if I had to call the game, I would have. But I was kind of leaning towards the Google Hangout option <laughs> if you didn't make it. <laughs> All right, so now let's move on to the actual game. The University of Utah taking on the Arkansas Razorbacks, 4.30 p.m. tip-off at Frank Irwin Center in Austin, Texas. The Utah Utes, their first NCAA tournament appearance since 2011, 
were looking for their first NCAA tournament win since 2009. So it had been 13 years since their last win. And they went in with a lot of momentum following their great Pac-12 tournament run. Now, Miley, I don't know if you remember this, but we were sitting, we kind of had a, our view was from the court side. From this vantage point, we were kind of the complete opposite side of the University of Utah. In fact, we were there for both games, but the opposite side of Utah. And I remember watching their pregame and just thinking, man, these guys are on fire. Like, I don't see how we lose this game with the way that they're shooting the basketball. Do you remember that discussion that we had and kind of what their warmups looked like? Yeah, you like you said, you looked over at me and said, we're going to win this game. Like It was just barely in to the beginning of warm-ups, and you saw make after make after make, and no one was missing anything, and you looked at me and said, we're going to win this game. It wasn't even a question. And so when we jump into the game, we've talked about a couple wire-to-wire wins during the Pac-12 season. This was another wire-to-wire win for Utah. They came out... Guns a-blazing, just like they were in warm-ups. It was impressive. Um, you know, not only was I just looking at the actual made shots, but I looked at their composure. I looked at how comfortable they all looked. And to be able to say that about, one, a young team, which we've talked about in previous episodes, one, a young team, and two, the fact that this team had not made the NCAA tournament in 11 years, just how comfortable they looked being in that moment at that time, There was just no way, in my opinion, they could lose this game. Even though I had no idea what Arkansas looked like outside of seeing what I could see from the opposite end of the floor during their warm-ups, still, I just looked at this team and I said, Miley, they are not going to lose this game. They just look so comfortable, so confident, and their shots were falling. So, we move to the game. Like you said, Miley, wire-to-wire was the victory. Sure, we could give it away. Utah did win this game. It was a wire-to-wire win. But it was how they jumped out on Arkansas to start this game that was incredibly, incredibly impressive. Going into it, the big storyline was going to be how would Utah defend Amber Ramirez? Amber Ramirez was their leading scorer coming in. She was a, a very high-volume shooter, high-volume scorer. Had been on, from what I remember, had been on a bit of a tear as of late. And so we came in thinking, okay, Amber Ramirez is going to be their focal point. They also had um, Sam Spencer, who was the SEC Freshman of the Year. So once again, we bring back the Freshman of the Year discussion like we had in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament from the last episode, and Sam Spencer being the SEC Freshman of the Year, another another Freshman of the Year matchup. But I remember thinking, if they can figure out a way to slow down Amber Ramirez, then this is going to be a win, no doubt about it. And Miley... That is exactly what Lynn Roberts did with her young team completely shutting down Amber Ramirez. We just look at the first quarter. Offensively, Utah jumped out to a 10-0 lead in just the first two minutes of the game. During those first two minutes, offensively for Arkansas, Amber Ramirez didn't even get a shot up. So immediately we saw the game plan in act. Utah was not letting Amber get any open shots, and if she did, they were all contested or she was forcing to pass and let other people shoot, but Utah jumped out to a, a quick, quick lead. So they jumped out, as you mentioned, to a 10 nothing lead. Amber Ramirez didn't take her first shot until the 7-20 mark. It was, as you said, a contested three-pointer. She then got fouled, and this is when I knew that she was going to have a tough night. An 80-something percent free throw shooter from the, um, from the line all year goes to the line, clanks both free throws. 
And that was at the 544 mark, missed them both. The score at that point was 13-4. to Amber had already uh, had missed a three-pointer very badly and then went 0-2 from the stripe. If I, had, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, but if I was a betting man, I'd be willing to bet that Amber Ramirez had not missed two consecutive free throws all year long. She did it in the very first quarter of the NCAA tournament, and that's when I'm thinking, okay, she's off her groove. Utah's already gotten in her head, and that's exactly what they had to do. Amber finished 0 for 6 from the floor in the first quarter, 0 for 2 from the free throw line, and was held scoreless. And Utah led at the end of the first quarter 20 to 12. But just looking back at that first quarter, you talked about at the beginning of this episode that both of these teams kind of played a similar style. Quick shots, lots of threes. Utah held Arkansas to 0 of 6 shooting from beyond the arc. Utah, on the other hand, was 3 of 8 from deep, so immediately you saw Utah kind of in that offensive groove, but more importantly, we saw them find how they were going to play on the defensive end. Their whole story this season was Utah's offense, Utah's offense, but the Pac-12 tournament, something changed, and everything kind of started started to click for Utah as they put a full game together. So in that first quarter, we saw a terrific performance on the offensive end, but also on the defense as they held Arkansas to just under 30% shooting. We moved to the second quarter with Utah leading 20 to 12. And the Utes, again, as we just talked about a moment ago, they jumped out to a huge run yet again to start the second quarter. They led with 5.33 remaining in the quarter, 35-16. to 16. They went on a 15-4 to four run. Again, the same exact run we saw, to, um, we saw for them to start the game. They had the same exact run, 15-4, to four, through the first four and a half minutes of the second quarter. And by that point, Miley, we knew Utah was going to run away with this game. Even though Amber Ramirez was, at this point, starting to find a little bit of a groove, hit her first jumper, nine and a half minutes left in the second quarter. Did have a good second quarter, but by this point, Utah had already kind of taken her out of her groove, and uh, they went into the half leading 44-27, a 17-point lead for Utah after an Izzy Palmer buzzer beater to go into the break. I think the impressive storyline going into the half was that Utah got their lead by committee. And that's what Coach Roberts kind of talked about all season long was that there wasn't one particular person on this team that had to lead them every single game. It often at times was a couple different people or new people each game. So going into half, Kennedy led the team with 11 points. She was 3 of 4 from deep, had 3 rebounds and 2 assists, but then just going down the line... Gianna had five, Kelsey had six, Jenna had six, Brenna had five, Izzy had seven, Deja had three, Drew had two, and then she also had six assists. So by committee, that is the perfect description of what Lynn Roberts talks about so much in her in her style of offense this year was that she wanted to get things done by committee. And that takes you know, specific people to buy into that type of play. You know, if you have these players that, you know, want to kind of just take all the glory, they're not going to fit in this type of offense. But Coach Roberts got the buy-in from her team, and we saw it play to full force in that first-round matchup against Arkansas, especially, as you as you just mentioned, in that first half, 
as they were able to get a very comfortable 17-point lead. But I love that you brought up Drew Gilton because Drew was kind of the catalyst to how Utah was flowing, especially in that second quarter. Six, uh, four of her six assists came in that second quarter alone. All season long, she's been the one that might not necessarily have the beautiful stats, the sexy stats that we call them, but she's the one that's constantly helping guide this team just by being Drew Gilton. And... The assists were showing up in this game. Four assists in the second quarter, six assists at halftime, and the Utes, as I just mentioned, a very comfortable 17-point lead going into the break. Really, all they had to do was come out in that second half, play their game of basketball, and they'd get an easy win. So we moved to the third quarter where head coach Mike Neighbors knew that in order for them to kind of have a repeat of what happened a year ago was going to have to pick up their game. Now, Miley, that's exactly what Arkansas did. The first three and a half minutes of this third quarter was controlled by Arkansas. They cut the 17-point lead that Utah had at the break down to 10. Up until that point, Arkansas was 0-14 from deep, but it took a three-pointer by Sasha Goforth, who actually played at Oregon State prior to this, to cut the lead down to 10. And Utah would have to kind of answer back with 5.46 remaining. The lead, as you said, got down to 10 after a Michaela Daniels jumper. Kind of hung around there after Michaela, uh, after Sasha's three-pointer the next minute or so. And then Utah closed out strong to finish that third quarter. At that point, it was 50-40 to 40 in favor of the Utes before the Utes would go into the fourth quarter leading 68-52 thanks to an 18-12 finish by Utah. So going into the fourth quarter leading by 16 points you know at this point Miley you kind of felt that Utah had it in the bag and uh, not only did they have it in the bag but then they closed out this game so so very strong with six and a half minutes remaining in the game Utah led by 11 72 to 61 and then the Utes went on a 20 to 7 run to close the game which was amazing and then they ended up winning the game 92 to 69 winning by 23. An incredible finish to that game. Again, we kind of break down these stats a little bit as we kind of you know look at how Utah got the job done by committee. They were led in scoring by Kennedy McQueen's 20 points, 6 of 9 from the floor, 6 of 9 from the three-point line. Miley didn't even attempt a two-pointer. I think what's cool about this box score is what you kind of mentioned previously that everyone has bought into this system and this team is not reliant on one person. So Jenna and Brenna were the only two players on the team to take double digit shots. Every other player on the team had less than 10, but five people still scored in double digits. And then Drew also had a double digit stat with assists. 11 assists for Drew Gilton, 10 rebounds for Kelsey Reese. She had her first career double-double with 11 points, 10 rebounds. And altogether, 92 points was an NCAA tournament record for the University of Utah in scoring 92 points on the board. Kind of fitting in the way that Coach Roberts designed this team to begin the year that they would not only get an NCAA tournament bid, but they would then blow out a very good Arkansas team and in the process score the most points that any Utah team has ever scored in the NCAA tournament. And again, like you just said, I love that you brought this up. Only two players had 10 or more shot attempts. Only 10 were attempted by those two players. So again, kind of just highlighting that this entire offensive strategy was based on everybody getting involved and it was orchestrated beautifully by the point guard Drew Gilton. I think that's kind of what the difference was between Arkansas and Utah 
Utah relies on their entire team. When you look at the opposing box score, when you go look at Arkansas, they were heavily reliant on what Amber Ramirez can do. Amber's final stats, she played all 40 minutes, and she scored 24 points, which looks which looks great, 24 points. But she had to do that on 28 shots. She, she shot 10 of 28, 2 of 12 from deep, 2 of 4 from the foul line, which she missed those two free throws in that first quarter. And then that was kind of it. She only had one rebound, zero assists, one turnover, and then two steals. But not the greatest game for their star player. Not that I want to, you know, demean this game at all, because I, I really don't. But is it hard to attempt 28 shots and not, take a, and not get a single assist in a game as a former D1 college player? I think if you have the ball in your hands as much as Amber did this game and probably the whole season, it's almost like you have to try not to get an assist. I don't know. Especially in that first quarter when she didn't really attempt that many shots because Utah's defense was so great. You would think that on accident she might have gotten an assist just by passing and hoping someone made a shot, but zero assists in 40 minutes when she had the ball in her hands mm. the entire game. Well, Coach Roberts put together a terrific defensive game plan against her and against really the entire team. Sam Spencer and Michaela Daniels did go a combined 14 of 30 for a combined 36 points. Those were really the only two bright spots for Arkansas. Outside of that, everybody else was just kind of there outside of, obviously, Amber Ramirez. You just talked about 10 of 28. Um, Sasha Goforth, who I expected a much bigger game from, only had five points on two of eight shooting. They're really, their bench only had four points. So Utah doing a great job of shutting them down. And then offensively for Utah, 20 points by Kennedy, 16 by Jenna Neepkins, 12 for Jenna Johnson, a double-double for Kelsey Reese. We just talked about it, her first career double-double, 11 points, 10 rebounds. And Drew Gilton, 6 points, 11 assists to go along with five rebounds. Off the bench, Izzy Palmer with 9 points, Brenna Maxwell with 8 Deja Young with seven, and Inesh knocked down a three as well. So 27 bench points for Utah compared to just four for Arkansas. So doing everything right. And with it, the Utes get their first win in the NCAA tournament since 2009. And it was in very dominant fashion. You said at the top of when we were talking about this game, wire to wire, not just wire to wire, Miley, but a dominant wire to wire victory for Utah's first NCAA tournament game since 2011. And when we look at this game and some of the records that were set by Utah, they were 15 of 31 from deep, which is a record for most threes made in a tournament game for Utah. Also, Kennedy McQueen, you already mentioned she hit six threes, which was the second most by a single player in Utah history for the NCAA tournament. So the offensive end, they set several records, and then we already mentioned the 92 points as well. So Utah got the job done. They advanced to the round of 32 where they would take on the host, the Texas Longhorns. Now, as we were cleaning up for that first broadcast against Texas, we saw the Longhorns warming up. And the only thing that stood out in my mind as I was watching them warm up was their unbelievable length. Holy smokes. They were so very lengthy as they were warming up and kind of just looked at you and was like, oh boy, this is a very, very lengthy team. And Utah, quite frankly, at this point in the season, if they had one Achilles heel, Miley, it was length as they had, we mentioned this last episode, but they lost Peyton McFarland in the uh, the Pac-12 tournament due to a knee injury. She was out for the NCAA tournament as well, so they lost that length. And we looked at this Texas team, thought if they win this next game, 
It's going to be a tough challenge for Utah with their length. Well, as fate would have it, Texas did easily get past their first-run opponent, and it set up a date with Utah and Texas for the round of 32, with Texas playing in their final home game inside Frank Irwin Center. And it was a doozy, that's for sure. Talking about their length, when you look at this roster, they have 6'4", 6'2", 6'1", 6'5", and 6'4". So almost half their team, six foot and above. And like you mentioned, length has not been Utah's friend this season. Texas, their style of play is very hard-nosed, full-court defense. And that is another thing that Utah has struggled with when teams have decided to play full court. So when you look at the size and length of Texas, they also had the Big 12 freshman of the year, who's only 5'6", but she is as quick as ever, picking up full court nonstop and never getting tired. She was the Gatorade Texas Player of the Year as a, fre- as a senior in high school. And as you just talked about, was the Big 12 freshman of the year. And we got to see very early on why she was the freshman of the year and why she's going to be dominant force at UT for years to come. The first quarter, it was pretty back and forth as it was tight really the entire first quarter. The biggest lead was five for Texas in that first quarter, but Utah answered with five quick points to tie it up after a Kennedy McQueen three-pointer before um, Aliyah Matharu hit a jumper to put Texas ahead by two going into the end of the first quarter. So you thought to yourself, Utah doing a good job against this length that we talked about just a moment ago. Um, But then second quarter rolls around and the wheel started falling off a little bit for Utah. I don't know if you should necessarily say that the wheels fell off for Utah or that something amazing just happened on the Texas end because they started the quarter shooting one of three. But then they went on to make their next 10 shots in a row, which rolls on to the third quarter, which we'll talk about in a second. But this was the most amazing offensive performance I have witnessed from a team. Every time they went down, we were expecting them to make shots. And they were not easy shots either. It was highly contested mid-range jumpers that were just falling to the bottom of the net. Unbelievable performance by Texas in that second quarter. Like you said, I don't know if I've seen an outburst like that before in any game whatsoever. I have spent a lot of time in gyms. And I don't know if I have seen a more dominant offensive performance than what we saw from Texas. Ten consecutive makes to end the second quarter. You talked about it. I don't want to kind of give it away yet, but we'll talk about that as we start our discussion into the third quarter. But that then helped Texas to get out to a massive run. They started the second quarter on a 21-7 run. Utah in that first half found themselves down by as many as 14 points and trailed going into the half actually by 14 I think what's even more amazing about this offensive performance is that Texas did not attempt a single three-point shot in that second quarter. I think in 10 minutes with the athletes, the style of play that basketball is now that someone would have shot a three, but again, no threes were taken and they were just highly efficient in the mid-range. So Utah trailed by 14 going into halftime. Texas's run continued into the third quarter. They hit their first six shots, so a mathematician will tell you that's 16 consecutive makes for Texas. 16 consecutive made shots for the Texas Longhorns, and by the time they missed their first jumper of that second half, they found themselves ahead by 26 points. The offensive performance of Texas allowed them to get this lead, but it was also the defensive pressure that started weighing on Utah. 
Texas led the Big 12 in turnovers forced this past year, and that really wasn't in effect the first half, but the wear and tear of the full court press got to Utah, and we saw them slowly get tired. In that third quarter, Texas forced Utah into seven turnovers, and the Utes only got 10 shots up in that third quarter. So the Utes would fall to the Texas Longhorns in the round of 32 thanks to the just incredible performance offensively by Texas. The Longhorns shot 64% from the floor and Miley only attempted six three-pointers as you kind of talked about. Most of their damage done in the paint in which they scored 38 points in the paint, but it was the mid-range shot that you were talking about. The mid-range shot made made a reappearance in the game of basketball in that Texas Longhorn game. Texas looked very, very good in doing so. Only five made free throws for Texas. Only 38 points in the paint. Only three made threes. That means that altogether, that means that there was 24 points in just the mid-range. Now, as you talked about, Miley, that would not necessarily be considered good basketball, I guess you could say, in today's style of play. But Texas showed us that you can get the job done in the mid-range with those points. The Longhorns went on to uh, advance into the Sweet 16 as they got past Utah 78-56. The Longhorns would eventually fall to Stanford in the Elite Eight to end their tournament run. But the Utes end their tournament run, getting to the round of 32 after a truly great performance against uh, Arkansas. And one thing that was really, really cool about that as well, about this game, the Texas-Utah game, was that, Miley, it was the final game at Frank Irwin Center, and we got to broadcast it. Utah got to play in it, and you and I got to broadcast it. That's pretty cool to think. I remember when we walked into the building and we talked to the to the crew there, they felt a little nostalgic that this was going to be the final game inside this building. And it only being our second time broadcasting a game there, it was still pretty cool to be able to say that the final game inside that historic Frank Irwin Center was that game that we got to witness, and you and I got to be on the microphone for it. It was also amazing being able to call a game with the crowd that showed Mm. up. Texas this year was a consistent top 10 ranked team. So they had plenty of fans come out to all their games. And I remember several times during the game, just taking off the headset, listening to the crowd cheering, especially when they made their 16 straight shots, when everything was flown from that place got loud and the atmosphere was amazing for a tournament game. So we have finished the uh, the season for the University of Utah. They finished going 21 and 12. They went eight and seven in Pac-12 play, and they had an unbelievable. We talked about this in the last episode. An unbelievable Pac-12 tournament run that allowed them to earn the seven seed in the NCAA tournament. As we just talked about earlier to begin this episode, they got a terrific win over Arkansas. Dominant performance in their first tournament game since 2011. They get their first NCAA tournament win since 2009. Miley, so much that this Utah team has to be proud of. And we have kind of seen the fruits of that labor from this season come out ever since that season ended. We're going to talk all about that next week, um, about everything that's happened to the University of Utah since the season ended. But, you know, you really kind of have to go back and just appreciate what this Utah team did this year and how Coach Roberts was able to, we've talked about this so far the entire time during <laughs> uh, during this podcast. Utah's team last year was awful. I mean, I'm just going to flat out say it. Last, last year's Utah team was awful. Coach Roberts came to the table with a completely new game plan. And we saw a brand new team, a brand new offense, And again, they had the right pieces in place 
to make this year special. It's cool to see how quickly the turnaround came. Utah this season finished with 21 wins on the season, which marks the most wins the program had since the 2012-2013 season. So again, like we said, we saw the turnaround from last year to this year, how quick it was, how the players and coaches bought into this new system, and we saw terrific results as Utah made it to the tournament, won a game in the tournament, and then has plenty of players returning for next season, which could be, again, another amazing run. So that is the end of our 2021-2022 season in review with the University of Utah having a truly spectacular year. They, again, finished with a record of 21-12, and 8-7 and in Pac-12 play, the first time that they get a winning record in Pac-12 play. Their first NCAA tournament bid since 2011, first NCAA tournament win since 2009. So again, so very much to be proud of if you are a fan of this University of Utah program. Now coming up next week, we'll talk about everything that has happened to this point in the offseason. There are some changes, as there is every season in college basketball, but we'll talk all about that and much, much more. A quick reminder, each and every single Monday, we'll try to get an episode out to you. So please make sure to tune in each and every single episode. Thank you so very much for tuning in. For Miley Anger, I am Tyson Ewing. This is the What You Need to Know podcast.